crowd just scored the first three rounds. I'm ditching. Look at the stare of the champion against the challenger. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. This is InTheFight.net's In The Fight show on Sportinarium Radio, talking MMA, pro wrestling, and boxing. Follow the show on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at ITF Show. And now from Philadelphia, Doc, Brett, In The Fight. Oh my God! What is going on, fight fans? It is I, Brett Halpern, and yet today, it is a solo mission. I hope everyone is doing well. And again, welcome to Section 247 Presents In The Fight, part of the Section 247 Sports Network of Podcasts. We are live right now on Sportswire Radio. Uh, Thrilled to be partnered with them. Thrilled to have fans both in the United States, the UK, worldwide. We're just getting bigger and bigger each week, and we thank Sportswire Radio for that. Um, Again, you can find us at ITF Show on all social media. You can also check out our website, www.inthefight.net. And additionally, we have merch. Yes, that is right. I'm not wearing any currently. I actually worked out of my merch earlier this morning trying to get a little swole. My goal is to eventually be able to fight uh, heavyweight in the UFC. I'm lying. I would just get my ass kicked, but I'd be able to like it, be able to at least make that weight. Nevertheless, Check out our merch, tkostore.com. It's either on the front page or else click on the other shirts tab. We appreciate the support. They are comfortable. They look good. We're going to have additional shirts coming in the near future. I think uh, Mike actually said he's going to allow me to to design a few. So that should be interesting. But nevertheless, excited for that venture. But please support us. Support the show. We appreciate everything. Buy some merch, look good, listen to great stuff. That's what it's about. As always, we are brought to you by Michael's Glass Company. If you are in the Delaware Valley area, this is the premier glass company. 215-338-3293. Tell them Mike and Brett sent you. And now lastly, for all those living in the Delaware Valley area, particularly those in the main line, you know, as uh, hopefully the Delta variant uh, slows down. Check out DePaul's Table, 7 East Lancaster Avenue, Ardmore, Pennsylvania, DePaul'sTable.com, a modern Italian steakhouse, a beautiful building, beautiful restaurant, tremendous food. Uh, as I've said many times, I know who the chef is. Uh, I used to eat at their former restaurant. And not that that restaurant closed. They, this is more of like a prize free agent acquisition, and the food is tremendous. So, again, 7 East Lancaster Avenue to Paul's Table. So, what do we have coming up today? Well, we're going to do it was a big weekend in combat sports, as everyone knows, both Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening. So, we're going to do a four up and a four down. We're going to talk a little bit also about Dana White Contender Series week one, the results. We're also going to preview UFC Vegas 36, which for all my UK fans is a really big show, a really big event because one of the hottest fighters in the UK, uh, one of the most popular, one of the most uh, 
magnanimous. I've been using that word a lot on our shows. Also check out at GL Stan Show, which is going to be making its premiere on Sportswire Radio very soon on uh, September 3rd. Uh, but yes, I've been using that word a lot. But uh, one of the UK's most popular fighters is now being signed or has signed to the UFC and is making his debut this week. So we're going to be talking about that. So four up, four down. Who is trending up this week? Well, as much as I hate to put him up here, I'm going to go number one, Jake Paul. The fact of the matter is a YouTuber, a social media presence, uh, was able to pull off an event on Showtime Sports pay-per-view, selling out his hometown arena, the Cleveland, uh, where the Cleveland Cavaliers play. Forget the the new name of the arena. It's very difficult with all the new corporate sponsorships. That was a crowd of sixteen to seventeen thousand uh, fans, and not just the typical boxing fans. Is bringing new eyes to the sport. It was a very interesting event. Frankly, I thought it was much better produced than the the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather exhibition, which occurred earlier this summer. And what happened in the event? Well, Jake Paul defeated Tyron Woodley via split decision. He had two scorecards scored at 77-75 in favor of Jake Paul while one of the judges scored at 75 to 77 in favor of Tyron Woodley. I will give Jake Paul this in terms of the boxing. He has some skill, right? He was able to put together some combinations. Um, I I think defensively he was adequate at best, but as we all saw, the most significant damage that was landed in the fight was in the fourth round when Tyron Woodley literally put Jake Paul into the ropes. And if it were not for those ropes, Jake Paul would have ended up in the first row. I, you know, to his credit, Jake Paul did regroup, but you could see also that he clearly was fading as the rounds progressed. Um, You know, I'm not going to be putting Tyron a little bit of a spoiler. I'm not putting Tyron Woodley as a loser here because frankly, he acquitted himself better than I thought. I thought he was completely shop-worn. He was only partially shop-worn. I think really this came down to the fact that Tyron Woodley did not want to put himself in harm's way too much. And by doing that, he sacrificed offense. And I think off if he were more aggressive, he may not have had the gas later in the fight, but the gas tank, excuse me, but I think he also would have been able to stop Jake Paul. That is my belief. But nevertheless... Credit to Jake Paul. I've said I don't really like Jake Paul, but I you even heard on the show last week. I respect what both he and his brother, his both he and his brother, and probably Jake even more so than Logan, they have taken the sport seriously. They are training as hard as any professional fighter. They're just you know they're coming to the sport in a different manner. So therefore, people question their their chops they're questioning the integrity the genuineness of it but i i don't i i have no doubt that he's taking it seriously as evidenced by that performance now where do we go from here um i think jake paul may have hit the ceiling in terms of okay in terms of a guy who an opponent with box office appeal Right, because we all know Jake Paul is cherry picking 
MMA fighters who are familiar with the sport of boxing, obviously because as a mixed martial artist, one of the disciplines that they have to have both familiarity and skill with is they at least have to have a rudimentary understanding of boxing. So, but obviously it's not to the level of a trained professional boxer. So it's a mixed martial artist who has a name. I think if Tyron Woodley, remember Tyron Woodley fought at welterweight, he was the UFC welterweight champion, which means he fought at 170. He was fighting uh, Sunday night at 190. If you had a legitimate middleweight or light heavyweight UFC fighter, I think that fight would end differently, and I think that they would put away Jake Paul. To me, what is the name? I think it's Anderson Silva. Now, if we're going to call Tyron Woodley long in the tooth, then Anderson Silva is extremely long in the tooth. Additionally, Anderson Silva probably brings a bigger mixed martial art name, but he can't sell the fight the way Tyron Woodley did simply because of the language barrier as well as the personality difference. Tyron, to his credit, uh, you know, is has always been a very opinionated guy. And, you know, during the lion's share of his time, particularly in the UFC, he kind of he was the anti-company guy. You know, he had issues with management. He frankly had issues with the fans who he, you know, took issue with the fact that he was not embraced the way he what that he felt he should be and was not respected the way he felt he should be. Anderson Silva. It's not that kind of guy. He's even when, you know, the, the most uh, controversial thing he ever did, except for sometimes the weird antics in the cage, was the time he did the uh, the old Ronald John uh, uh, shoulder strike to Chael Sonnen during the UFC 248 weigh-ins with their rematch. He's not a guy who necessarily is going to promote a fight. So in that respect, I don't know if Jake Paul's going to want to pick him. One of the contenders quote-unquote, for the next Jake Paul fight was going to be Tommy Fury, the younger half-brother of the champ, uh, Tyson Fury, who fought a who fought at 180 pounds against a boxer slash mixed martial artist who normally fights at 135 and couldn't get him out in a four-round lackluster affair. Now, in the UK, obviously, UK fans are much more well aware of Tommy Fury. He's a reality star in the UK. I'm comfortable enough with my sexuality to say the guy's a very good-looking guy. If I look like that, I'd probably just walk around shirtless all day and uh, attract the attention of many a female. Nevertheless, uh, not to make fun of this punum that I have. Tommy Fury, I don't think, is the guy, unless you're going to do the next event in the UK simply as a money grab. Frankly, I think I would take Jake Paul in that fight because Tommy Fury showed a tendency to be open for the overhand right, which is obviously Jake Paul's best punch. So I frankly think the best, because of the split decision, because of the fact that Tyron Woodley in the fourth round nearly finished the fight, I would run this back, right? That also allows Jake Paul to further grow as a boxer, We'll see what happens. If he gets past Tyron Woodley, I think the second fight will make money. Then you could figure out another name. The thing I, I just don't want to see, again, I think one of the clear disadvantages Tyron Woodley had was simply a size thing, a size difference. He's a guy who fights at 170. He doesn't fight at 190. Now, he had the benefit of not having to cut weight, 
But aside from that, you saw that the power didn't necessarily translate. It's one of the most, in his peak, one of the most powerful welterweights in the history of mixed martial arts. That doesn't translate to fighting in 190 pounds in boxing with heavier gloves. Again, I do think it would make sense to run this back. Fortunately, I also don't think the sport of mixed martial arts took an L this weekend. I thought, okay, Woodley, you know, there there were moments, even Al Bernstein, to his credit, was sort of demonstrating areas where, you know, a more experienced, savvy boxer would have thrown an additional punch or, or handled things differently. I thought Teddy Atlas did a great job when speaking with Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour about where Tyron was lacking. I'd be really interested to see the growth of both Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley as a boxer. And to me, I would run it back. You know, Jake Paul, I'm sure he's, you know, he's going to call out Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz. I mean, look, Nate Diaz, God bless him, uh, was talking about how, you know, this fight sucks and these guys suck and all that stuff. And look, I actually do think Nate Diaz would present a unique problem for Jake Paul and that he has a tremendous chin. I think his defense is such that he would be able to avoid Jake Paul's strengths and he would put a pace on Jake Paul by the fourth round. Jake Paul would be gasping for air. So I think Nate, Nick Diaz, either Diaz brother would be able to beat Jake Paul. But again, because of the commercial success of this fight, at minimum $2 million in addition to the pay-per-view points. We haven't yet heard what the pay-per-view numbers did. When they do, we will post them at in the fight at ITF show. Also in the fight.net. We'll probably talk about them next week as well. But in the meantime, congrats to Jake Paul. I will, you know, give him that. Congrats on the victory. Congrats to Tyron Woodley on the paycheck. And it was all in all, and it was an entertaining evening. And as I said, the the promotion and the production was far superior i thought ariel hawani acquitted himself very nicely um you know i i have some i i'm in i'm a luke thomas guy so you know i'm a morning combat guy versus uh, ariel hawani guy but nevertheless you know it was also good that they had a legitimate mixed martial arts presence there and i thought that Ariel Hawani offered timely references to Woodley's career. He even was talking about when there was one moment when Jake Paul was licking the gloves and he referenced uh, BJ Penn, who used to do that when he had his big victories. BJ Penn even chimed in talking shit to Jake Paul, like, don't ever copy me. It's amazing, you know, how Jake Paul just rubs everyone the wrong way, amazingly. It was also nice to see uh, the mother of Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley, um, embraced at the end of the fight. I thought that was nice. As I've said last week, and I think other weeks, uh, Tyron Woodley's mother, one of the more special ladies out there. Um, you know, so again, congrats to Jake Paul. We will see what is next. And obviously we will be discussing it here on in the fight show. As for my number two up, well, that is Giga Chikadze, the winner of the main event of UFC Vegas 35 uh, Saturday evening. Giga defeated Edson Barboza via TKO 144 into round three. Uh, I, I had picked Edson Barboza because I thought Edson Barboza was the more well-rounded mixed martial artist. And Edson Barboza elected to make this a complete kickboxing affair, which in spite of Edson's tremendous 
um, acceleration, his athleticism. Giga Chikadze is the more uh, experienced and the more polished kickboxer. So to me, I didn't think that that was a very smart, um, a very smart game plan for Edson Barboza. So to me, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Edson Barboza in a little mo- moment. I guess I'm uh, foreshadowing there. But look, you have to credit Giga. He, you know, just he sort of started out slowly, but once he was able to figure out the timing, just marched Edson Barboza down, beat him up, and you know that's how you get a TKO in the round three. And I, I have to tell you. The um, the level of improvement from fight to fight with Giga, Giga Chikadze, he really is coming into his own. And I didn't quite see Chikadze as a title contender. I don't know if he'll win a title fight. I, I you know depends who's the champion. Then depends how much Giga grows. Right? Giga grows. I like that one. Uh, but I do now think. Giga Chikadze at some point within the next few years will most likely, I'd say above 80%, I would give that, he will most likely challenge for a UFC featherweight championship, challenge for the UFC featherweight championship. After the fight, he called out one Max Holloway. Now, Max Holloway was initially scheduled to fight Yair Rodriguez earlier this summer. That fight had to be... um, postponed due to Max sustaining an injury. Got to tell you, I would be happy to see Chikaze against either Yair Rodriguez or Max Holloway. I know Max wants to stay busy, which is why he would take another fight before waiting, excuse me, waiting for the winner of um, Alex Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. To me, I would do Chikaze, Yair Rodriguez, and let Max wait. But if Max wants to fight, give him either of those guys. I think there's now more heat between he and Giga. Let Yair Rodriguez fight someone else. Either way, the the featherweight division is just getting a little bit uh, richer and with respect to legitimate contenders. And Giga Chikadze is most definitely one of them. On to number three, Gerald Mearshart of Rufus Sport. the training partner, uh, teammate of one of our dear friends uh, of the show, Lenny Rafati. Gerald Mearshart, who is a, a UFC veteran, actually came into the night as the biggest underdog of the evening. Of the evening. He was matched up against Mahmoud Muradov, um, and I believe he was like a, a plus 500. Uh, which, you know, that's a very sizable underdog. And he ended up defeating Mahmoud Muradov via submission, rear naked choke, 149 into round two. And this was not easy. In the first round, Mirshar stopped due to strikes. Muradov was having his way with him. But to his credit, Mirshar showed tremendous heart, uh, tremendous will, was able to withstand that barrage, and then was able to implement his game, which is a more wrestling-slash-grappling-centric game, was able to get him to the ground, was able to choke him out. And Paul Felder, former Rufus sport guy, back when he was an active competitor, was going crazy on the call. And it was just really one of those inspiring moments. Because, look, you know, you don't care what the odds are. This is a crazy sport. And even though he was a sizable underdog, Gerald Mearshart is a legitimate fighter who 
clearly as demonstrated by the fight has a gigantic heart. So credit to him. Uh, that was just, that was a very impressive and inspiring performance and looking forward to seeing who Gerald Mearshart has next. Uh, finally, Number four to me goes to Ricky Tercios. Ricky Tercios defeated Brady Heastan uh, via split decision, 29-28 on two scorecards, 28-29 uh, in favor of Heastan and the other. Uh, and he did that to become the Tough 29 Bantamweight winner. Now, there was additionally a uh, Tough 29 middleweight fight between uh, Sean Battle and Gilbert uh, Urbina. That was a decent fight. Battle ended up victorious. Congrats to him. But to me, uh, Ricky Tercios and Brady Heastan, and frankly, I almost put Brady Heastan as a co-winner here. This was a fantastic back-and-forth performance. Good striking, good grappling exchanges, transitions. I mean, at some point during the fight, they almost said that this room, the, the, the broadcast team, which was uh, Fitzgerald, Felder, and Bisping, they said it almost reminded them of Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner. I don't know if it came quite to that, but these two guys laid it all out on the line to get this contract. Now, look, obviously we know the end of the day, most of the promising fighters on Tough 29 will eventually be signed by the UFC or at minimum have one fight in the UFC. But to their credit, both of these guys laid it all on the line. I would highly recommend anyone check out this fight this was an excellent fight and either neither guy has anything they left it all in the cage and that's as an athlete that's all you can ever ask for from yourself and as a fan that's all we could ever ask for from fighters is that they they give it their all and it's just you know similar to gerald mearshart this was just very it was inspiring to watch and so credit to Ricky Tercios would be very interesting to see. I, I wonder if he could also drop to 125, uh, which is just becoming a more and more exciting division. Very interesting guy. Had <laughs> a very interesting post-fight um, interview with Paul Felder. There was uh, someone pointed out that looking at Paul Felder, that's what happens when you interviewing someone who is just completely stoned out of their mind or perhaps just dropped some acid or ayahuasca well you don't drop ayahuasca i think you just take ayahuasca that's an entirely separate discussion and something i'm not familiar with nevertheless congrats to ricky tercios for every up there has to be a down and for me the first one has to be cesar fajera who by the way when he was so cesar fajera lost to Martin Hamlet via TKO via leg injury. 13 seconds into round one on Friday night's PFL light heavyweight and featherweight playoffs. Um, why I take issue with this, there were reports that the day before he was seen with discoloration in that leg and he was limping around. And it almost, if you watch it, it almost looked like, so he comes out, he plants with his injured leg and he throws a teep kick for all of you that don't know that teep kick is essentially just a front kick to sort of push away. And he just goes down claiming like a hamstring injury. And, you know, some of the fighters who of the light heavyweight bracket who did not make the playoffs took issue with that saying, Hey, look, if he's injured, he shouldn't get to fight and get a, um, an appearance check. 
right? If you're out, if you're injured, you can't fight. And it really did look like he literally just cobbled up enough strength to to, to lose the weight, uh, you know, cut weight, make weight, and then show up and just lose. It really um, it had a bad look to it. It smelled bad, even though you know I was sitting in a room, you know, 900 miles away, I can smell it. It smelled bad. So Cesar Ferreira is number one uh, down for me. Lost a lot of respect there. Also, um, Lillian Garcia is tremendous on the, uh, I, I always enjoyed her work at WWE. I wish she would have used his Portuguese nickname because in American, in English, excuse me, he's the mutant. But in Portuguese, it's Mutanche, which I just think sounds so much better. This is very cool. Nevertheless, number two down for me was Edson Barboza. As I mentioned, losing to Giga Chikadze in the main event of UFC Vegas 35. Again, I thought he had the ability to win. I thought to do so, he would have to play more of the mixed martial art game. And, and by that, I mean more of the grappling game, more of the clinch work. And instead, he just chose to make it a kickboxing game, which played into the strengths of Giga Chikadze. I take nothing away from Chikadze, but I do think Edson Barboza had a very bad strategy. I think this all but ends any hopes of Barboza as a legitimate title contender at featherweight you'll recall he's dropped down to featherweight later in his career he used to be a lightweight so for that reason edson barboza is down he's number two down now number three this one this one's frustrating to me kevin lee kevin lee is one of my uh kevin lee's frankly one of my favorite fighters in the ufc uh lost to daniel rodriguez via unanimous decision 29 28 on all three scorecards so he fought in welterweight. Kevin Lee can't figure out if he is a lightweight or a welterweight. He says when he fights at lightweight, it is a near-death experience every time he cuts weight. And obviously, I am not for anyone going through near-death experiences. But as I said yet or last week in previewing this, Kevin Lee went on at lightweight, is one of the best lightweights in the world. He, you know, completely drained and suffering from a staph infection, almost finished Tony Ferguson in the first round. And this was when Tony Ferguson was on his run. We saw what he did at UFC 244. I was literally 40 feet away from him. And he knocked Gregor Gillespie into a different orbit. That was a 155. But we also see what happens. I mean, Charles Oliveira just ran right through him in that event in Brasilia, which was literally the last sporting event after, upon which afterwards – the entire sports world shut down because of the pandemic. Kevin Lee, I, I, I don't think he's a welterweight. Now, I know he's coming off uh, both a left and right ACL tear. So he, you know, there could very well be ring rust. He is too small for welterweight. And I also believe it affects the weight cut affected his cardio at 155. The additional weight affects his cardio at 170. This is, you know, he's the best 163-pound fighter in the world, but there's no 163-pound division. He's the guy who's been calling for a 165-pound weight class. I think perhaps next week when we get uh, the captain, Mike Lipinski, back, or if, you know, maybe one time with the hired gun, uh, Zach Mester, I'm going to talk about whether the UFC should change up the weight classes. But nevertheless, Kevin Lee, who, again, I think is one of the more talented fighters out there, and 
I I really thought could be a champion is now losing to unranked fighters in the welterweight division, and he really needs to assess what's going on. And he may very well uh, lose his uh, spot in the UFC and may have to find himself having to rebound in a Bellator or a PFL or even in the regional scene. So my last down is Sam Alvey, who lost a uh, split decision to Wellington Terman. Uh, and he, in doing so, he's the first UFC fighter to lose a decision despite his opponent having two points taken away from him. So he lost 27 28 on two scorecards and then had a 28 27. So, I mean, that's a bad look to have two. Now, you could also argue that the eye pokes, which were the reason that Alvin that Terman had points taken away from him, that that had a deleterious effect on Alvi's performance. Nevertheless, that is a really bad look, and it also brings Alvi to 06 and 1 in his last seven fights. Remarkably. In the post-fight press conference, Dana White went so far as to say, hey, uh, you know, Sam Alvey is a company guy. I think that we're going to keep him on the roster, which I don't understand. Perhaps uh, Alvey has some incriminating photos of (laughs) Dana White. Doesn't make much sense to me because he doesn't even put on entertaining fights. This is not a guy who I believe should be in the UFC with all due respect to Smiling Sam but it appears he's still going to be in the UFC. So there you have it, four up, four down. Yesterday evening, we had the week one of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series, and five contracts were given out. I believe there's been other um, episodes where there are five fights. Here there was only four, but this is the first time ever that Dana White gave out a contract to each winner of the fight, and in one of the fights, he actually gave a contract out to the loser, which is the first time he's ever done that. So a little bit of recap. The first fight, we had A.J. Fletcher fights out of Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, trains sometimes with Dustin Poirier when he's in town, obviously not at ATT, and also trains primarily with Tim uh, Gladiator MMA, uh, MMA. And uh, Tim Crater, former Ultimate Fighter competitor, defeated Leonardo Damiani uh, via KO, Flying Knee. It was an awesome, awesome performance. 244 into round one. AJ Fletcher got a contract. The second fight of the night was a very entertaining affair between two flyweights. Victor Altamirano defeated Carlos Candelario via split decision. And frankly, I thought Candelario did enough to win. But it was an entertaining fight. And you could just tell both of these guys had a skill level that they could sustain themselves and perhaps even advance in becoming contenders in the flyweight division. So Altamirano, the winner, got a contract, as well as the loser of the fight, Carlos Candelario. The third fight, we had Joe Anderson Brito uh, defeated Diego Lopez via a technical unanimous decision. The reason was a technical unanimous decision is that Brito had inadvertently poked the eye of Lopez actually twice. And the second time the fight had to stop and it was 30 seconds into the third round. And because it wasn't intentional, uh, it wasn't deemed a uh, disqualification loss, but instead they went to the scorecards. But ultimately, I mean, Diego Lopez is a uh, highly, highly credentialed 
grappler who, I mean, his father is literally a coral belt, which, as Laura Senko explained, more on her in a moment, a coral belt is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt practitioner who is who has practiced as a black belt for more than 30 years. That is just ridiculously impressive. But Joe Anderson Brito was well-rounded, aggressive, was able to withstand the submission threats from Lopez, was able to inflict damage. I'm looking forward to seeing him in the UFC. Then in the main event, Azamat Murakanov defeated Mateus Schofel via TKO three minutes into round one. Uh, Murakanov looked very athletic. It was – he looked powerful. And as Dana White pointed out, he actually – he's a stocky build but a little short for light heavyweight. And I think, as did Dana White, as he pointed out, that he could easily make 185. So I, I think they found another legitimate prospect in Murakanov. So, again, to recap, Fletcher, Altamirano, Candelario, Brito, and Murakanov uh, all earned contracts in week one of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. So congratulations to all of them. Before previewing UFC Vegas 36, wanted to quickly go over some scheduling news. Uh, UFC during the UFC Vegas 35 broadcast mentioned that they they, they broke the news, even though we at uh, in the fight show and other outlets have already reported. Kamaru Usman will be taking on Colby Covington November 6th, UFC 268 in Madison Square Garden. It's now official. They additionally. Uh, broke down what is some of the other fights that have been signed, and this was actually some breaking news. So in the co-main event, Thug Rose will be defending her UFC Strawweight Championship against Zhang Weili, which is a rematch of their fight. I guess that was UFC 261 or 262, the first event back in Jacksonville where Rose won the belt from Zhang uh, in, you know, very a minute into round one. Then, as we reported, Justin Gaethje will be fighting Michael Chandler in what is just the quintessential war uh, at lightweight. And it is truly just – it's now become a war of words between the two fighters. There's more and more heat surrounding that fight. We Additionally, as we reported, Sean Strickland will be taking on Luke Rockhold, who's coming back uh, out of – I don't know if it's retirement, uh, sabbatical, but a fighting middleweight fight. Uh, Frankie Edgar will be taking on Marlon Chito Vera in what should just be a fantastic bantamweight fight. We had already reported that one. Then two more fights that we did not report. Jermaine Durandamy in a bantamweight bout will be taking on uh, Irene Aldana, which is a stand-up war. And then Raging Ally Quinta, Strong Island Zone, will be taking on Bobby Green in a lightweight affair. I mean, wow, that is stacked. I don't, I mean, you, you cannot make a bit, that is as good as a card as you can get. And once again, the UFC has created an absolute banger of a card, Madison Square Garden. Uh, the, the hired gun hit me up asking me if I want to go. I'm just nervous because of COVID. I'm not trying to get into that conversation. We'll see what the numbers are. If the numbers improve, perhaps. If there's a vaccine requirement, perhaps. Either way, super excited about that. And you know that we are here in the fight show going to break down that card in full detail. 
Um, perhaps then we'll even go, you know, have the ability to go live on Sportswire Radio and do a watch along. Uh, I'd lo- I would love to do that. I know Mike has been talking with uh, the behind the scenes of Sportswire Radio about that. Uh, so that's something we hope to bring you in the future. Anyways, on to this upcoming weekend. Labor Day weekend here in America, and a card which, frankly, has a lot of interest, or our UK fans should have a ton of interest in. Uh, UFC Vegas 36, that's what I'm calling it, so that's how I'm going to be hashtagging it this weekend. In the main event, we have Liverpool's own Darren Till uh, against Derek Brunson in a very pivotal middleweight matchup. Darren Till has now had two fights in the middleweight Um Division defeating Kelvin Gastelum, then losing to Robert Whitaker in a very competitive affair. And we have the resurging or the or the surging Derek Brunson, who's turned things around and really brought his fight IQ uh, up to the same level as his physical talents. And it's really an interesting affair. I think Derek Brunson clearly has the grappling advantage. Darren Till has the I I would call him the more talented striker. Derek Brunson, very athletic, very strong, but we've seen what happens when he is in a firefight. He just swings wildly, sometimes connects, as we've seen against guys like Leona Machida. But then, you know, as we saw against Robert Whitaker, he sort of, you know, um, empties his gas tank and is unable to connect and leaves himself open for some devastating punches. So I really think this is a very interesting fight because this fight more so than any is going to put Derek Brunson's fight IQ to the test. It's also for Darren Till, you know, we're really going to see him against a grapple first, a grapple minded middleweight and a very talented one at that with Derek Brunson. So Again, very uh, very interested to see that. I think the UFC, um, in addition to our UK fans out there who undoubtedly are going to be cheering for Darren Till, and, and rightfully so, I think the UFC would love to see Darren Till become a true middleweight contender. This is a guy who he just seems to have found a new focus in his career. He's Obviously, he's getting older. He's maturing. So I, I really am looking forward to this fight. Now, in terms of main card fights of interest, everyone in the UK is probably like, all right, Brad, yeah, we got Darren Till, yeah. Paddy the Batty is making his UFC debut. Yes, Paddy Pimlet, the Cage Warrior champion. For those in the US, Cage Warriors is a UK-based MMA promotion and one of, if not the finest MMA promotions in all of Europe have tremendous cards. This is where Conor McGregor was a two-division champion. Patty Pimblett, a lightweight, is probably the hottest prospect from the Cage Warriors promotion to join the UFC since Conor McGregor. He, in his own right, has that it factor. He's very, I would say he's very different from Conor McGregor. Uh, Obviously, first off, he's not Irish. He's from Liverpool, has, by the way, one of the coolest entrances. Uh, I believe he just calls it Scouse, Scouse Hall, um, which it's like a combination of various uh, songs. But it's it's unfortunate. I think it's going to be lost on the audience, A, because they may not even show it in the U.S., 
and it's in the UFC Apex with 100 fans. So it's not quite going to be the same as when he is in the UK at a Cage Warriors event with thousands of his supporters. But he is an aggressive fighter. His striking is good, but he's very good on the ground. Excellent submissions, excellent top game, good transitions, and a guy who just is not fearful to take the fight wherever it may be and is always looking to either improve position, looking for a submission. The guy is must-watch and has that it, it factor. So Patty Pimlet, Patty the Batty, is going to be taking on Luigi Vendramini uh, in a very interesting lightweight fight. And then the prelim fight of interest for me is Mark andre Barriol against Dalka Lungiambula. Lungiambula. Forgive me for the uh, pronunciation difficulties there. Very interesting middleweight fight between two guys who have experienced both the highs and lows of the UFC, uh, you know, both tasting uh, victory and defeat. I think both guys have flashed the talent to at some point break into the top 15 of the division. So this is a very pivotal matchup between two guys. Let's see which one is going to take that next step to becoming a ranked fighter. And, you know, with that, as always, I thank you for joining us. I look forward to join, rejoining the captain, uh, Mike Lipinski, and or uh, the hired gun, Zach Mester, next week. Thank you for allowing me to uh, keep you updated on the world of mixed martial arts and combat sports. And for everyone in, in the U.S., have a enjoyable and safe Labor Day weekend. For all our U.K. fans and fans around the world, stay safe. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the fights. And again, check us out at ITF Show, all social media in the www.inthefightnet. We are a Section 247 production, part of the Section 247 sports family. Also, obviously, right now you're, you're listening to us on Sportswire Radio. We thank Sportswire tremendously for their um, platform. Check us out, tkostore.com, T-E-E-K-O-Store.com for merch. Buy some merch. Look good. Feel good. That's the mantra. Michael's Glass Company, 215-338-3293. Tell them Mike and Brett sent you. DePaul's Table, 7 East Lancaster Avenue, Ardmore, PA. Again, thank you, everyone. Stay safe, and we will see you next week.